Hello, and welcome to the Graceful and Gritty podcast. My name is Sydney. I'm your host. I'm a wife, business owner, lifelong learner, and follower of Jesus. I was born and raised in Colorado and live here with my wonderful husband of six years. I'm passionate about people and have a knack for business. My hope is that we can learn together about doing life with grace and grit. We'll talk about all things life from faith and finance to business and balance. My prayer is that this will be a place of help, encouragement, honest conversation, and authentic growth. Thank you for joining me. Hello, friends. I hope that you are having a great week. I am definitely winging this right now because um, my computer is biting the dust even harder than it was before, and I don't have access to my husband's right now. So I was sitting down to record it and I'm having to do it on my phone without the actual like audio professional microphone. So bear with me. This was the only gap that I had this week to be able to record this. And I really just wanted to connect with you guys. Um, So we're just going to roll with it. And hopefully you can hear me loud and clear. We're just going to make it work as best we can. And uh, I'm excited for today's podcast. But before I jump into that, I'll just give you a little bit of an update. Um, Pretty good week. It's um, we've taken a lot of really heavy hits at work. We've lost some really core people that we were depending on that through several series of events, they've decided to move on in one way or another. And so my husband and I are both working a bunch in the restaurant. I mean, tomorrow is going to be probably um, 12 or 13 hour day. Um, And I'm not sure about the rest of the week yet, just because we're still working out some of the instability. So to be honest, it's been a little bit overwhelming, pretty stressful. Um, But God is faithful. And I know that he's gonna show up right on time. So I'm trusting that I got to get away for just a couple days to go visit my family in Durango. I have a brother who's a preacher at a church in New Mexico. Uh, He became the head pastor about a year ago, and my parents' church invited him up to take the Sunday services. So I got to sneak to Durango and spend some time getting to hear my brothers preach and reunite with a bunch of my family. Six of the seven siblings were all there, um, and I don't think we can plan that and make it work. So we had a bunch of fun uh, with a couple of my nephews and my younger siblings and um It was just a really great time, came back refreshed, and that was really what I needed before we head into this season of just crazy at work. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I know that, uh, so I've been mentioning that we got a fish tank, right? And we got a little betta fish, his name is Gus. And I just needed some help getting the, keeping the tank clean. So then we got the three snails, Meanie, Miney, and Moe. But then the take was big enough that we could fit a little bit more in there. And I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if we got some other stuff. So we took ourselves to the pet store, which obviously we should just not do because we're like unsupervised five-year-olds, my husband and I, sometimes. And it's like one of the best parts about being grown up, but also sometimes just, you know, anything can happen. And so we went to the pet store. We were going to get some more snails. And instead, we got one more bigger snail named Gary and then two frogs that we've named Franz and Ferdinand. Now, what's interesting about these frogs is that they're aquatic. They're water frogs. And so they've got webbed fingers and webbed toes, and they live underneath the water, and they just come up for air every 15 to 20 minutes. And so they um, are really good swimmers, and uh, they're pretty neat. They're bottom feeders, so they kind of dig through the rocks to find food that we leave for them. And 
Um, everybody's getting along stupendously and we haven't killed anybody yet. So we're pretty proud of our little fish tank and that's been really good. So I think that kind of brings you up to speed and what's been happening in, um, our world. Um, so, you know, we're just praying that God will provide a way at work when there doesn't seem to be any way and that he'll send us some good people. Um, the ones we have are phenomenal, but I just need some more of them. So, uh, that kind of brings you up to date, but today we're going to be talking about followership. And I know that leadership is like the big thing, especially in circles that I run in. Leadership is a really big deal. We talk about it. We breathe it. We eat it. We think it, we're developing it. We're trying to grow it in ourselves and in others. And leadership is a very important thing, but there is something that is equally as important, and that's great followership. And so we spend a lot of time talking about how to see the world as a leader and how to step up when there's a gap and just a myriad of different things. But followership is every bit as important. And if we know the Lord, we are all called to be followers of him. And it does not matter if you are in a role of leadership or a role of followership. If you are a child of God, then you are supposed to be a follower of him. And so today's lesson is going to be learning to become a great follower, not necessarily just at work and in life, although that's very important, but also to become a follower of the Lord. And so I'm excited to jump into today's podcast and thank you for joining me. So first I want to start off with one of my favorite stories in the Bible and it's found in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5. I'll just read a few verses and we can kind of unpack the richness that is here for us to learn. In verse 5 it says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And then he kind of bites at the children of Israel for their unfaithfulness, and it picks back up in verse 13. It says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. That whole thing is absolutely remarkable, and I absolutely love it. So just as a little bit of context, back in uh, Jesus' time, the population of the entire world is estimated sometime between 170 and 400 million people. Um, so it was pretty small you know, like the, the actual population, the world was still a really big place. And at that point, Rome had everything under its control. They said that all roads lead to Rome. And that phrase came because the Roman Empire stretched across the entire globe and they proclaimed taxes on people. And so they built roads in and out of all of these places to be able to collect taxes and build infrastructure and send uh, legions and centurions and build outposts and all these different kinds of things. And so they're at the height of their rule and they've got their the entire planet under their iron thumb. That's when you saw some of the inquisitions where um, the Roman armies would come and try to convert people to Catholicism. 
um, because the church and state was not separated. It was melded together. And so that's the context of the time. The time A centurion was one of the lower level leaders within the army uh, because each basically like uh, formation of soldiers was made up of a legion technically. And there was about 6,000 soldiers per legion. And in charge, they'd break it down even further where there would be different officers for different levels that would be responsible for different amounts of people. It was very complex, but very straightforward. So people knew exactly who they were, where they fell, what their responsibility was, who their authority was, who they were responsible for. And this man, a centurion, uh, was responsible for roughly a hundred men. And uh, his main job was to enforce discipline among the ranks. So he was solely responsible for his hundred men. And he was responsible to get them where they needed to be on time, equipped, trained, and ready to go. Um, Many times commoners were promoted or um, plebes as they were known. So like they were lower level soldiers that didn't really have a career. And they would go into the Roman army because it would give them guaranteed pay and help them be able to take care of their families. And if they got promoted, then it would give them a higher pay and more spoils. And so oftentimes they were men that came from very humble backgrounds, but some of them were even promoted to where they would sit on military councils and they, they were solely responsible for this group of a hundred men. And so a Roman centurion comes up to Jesus. And the other interesting thing is this man was a Roman or, well, I mean, they were in Capernaum, but this man was not a Jew. And so we're talking about somebody that had faith in the healing power of God that didn't even know God as his own. And maybe he did. Maybe he was a saved man. Maybe he accepted Christ because um, Jesus rewarded his faith and he had the faith um, that it took for his servant to be healed. And so I think this story is just really neat because of the context. This man was not a Jew. He was um, a Gentile and he was one that the Jews hated because he stood for everything that they hated, which was the Roman Empire and the slavery that they were under. And in verse uh, five, it says that this man came to him. And so we obviously know from that, that he knew that he was a healer. He knew that he was in town. He knew that he was capable and had the power to touch his servant, um, begging him. And so it says there came into him a centurion beseeching him. So begging him and he's saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the policy, grievously tormented. And I mean, obviously, modern medicine has done miracles for people and and longevity and quality of life. But this this servant was sick. And the other thing that stands out to me is that this centurion is full of compassion. He's full of care. Um, He cared about his servant. He didn't have to care about somebody that served him, that was beneath him, that was his role was to make this centurion's life easier. But he comes to the Lord and he seeks him out to ask that he would be healed. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I love Jesus' willingness to serve. So not only are we talking about the centurion and his servant in this context of servanthood, but we're also talking about Jesus. Jesus literally told him, I'll drop whatever I'm doing. I will come and heal him. I'll come to his bedside. I'll touch him. I will heal your servant just as you begged me to. And then it says in verse eight, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof. He says, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm an outsider. I'm a dog of Israel. I'm a Roman centurion that, um, 
is the one that's taking advantage of and oppressing your people. I don't deserve that you should, the healer should come to my house. He says, I'm not worthy. He says, here's what I'm asking you though. Speak only, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And he doesn't stop there. And I love this little bit of insight into this man's brain and into the way he thought and into the way he, that he saw the world because it's absolutely remarkable to me because he didn't just say, no, don't come. I'm not worthy. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He puts a whole nother sentence in there and it says, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. So he's saying, I'm a servant, but I also have men that are under me that are also serving. And I say unto this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And so the centurion is saying, God, I understand being a man under authority. He didn't say I'm over authority. I am over 100 men. I have come from nothing and earned my stripes and earned this opportunity. He didn't say any of that. He said, I'm a man under authority. So it shows an element of humility and servanthood. This man was a great follower, which made him a great leader. And he's understanding that Jesus has the power of God because he is God. And he doesn't have to be there in order to exercise that power because this Roman centurion understands that he has no power that belongs to him. He's a nobody, literally came from nothing and a nobody and earned his way up to become a centurion to be responsible for 100 men. And so he knows that he's all of his authority isn't derived from who he is or what he's accomplished. All of his authority is derived from what authority the Roman government has given him. And so when he's talking to Jesus, he says, look, I understand when I tell somebody to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. If I ask my servant to do something, they're going to do it. But my authority isn't mine. That's authority that's been given to me by the the Roman army. You have the authority to command my servant to be healed and for his body to be touched. And then in verse 10, it says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. He marveled. That's incredible. Um, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ is here on earth and he's teaching people about faith and about eternity and about who he is and living the blueprint for life. And he marvels at this Roman centurion who had enough faith to understand where his authority was from and how he could exercise it. I want Jesus to marvel at my faith. I want to be the kind of person that understands that the power of God is available in my life because of who God is and not any power that I myself have, but that that power lives in me, which is a biblical principle. And then he says, verily, I say unto you, Jesus says this, he says, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Jesus was not an exaggerator. He didn't fudge stories. He didn't uh, manipulate facts. He um, is a he is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he's not exaggerating. There is no hyperbole here. He's not blowing out of context. He says, barely I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He marvels and he says, this is the greatest faith that I've come across. This is the greatest faith that I've come across. Wow. 
bigger faith than the disciples, bigger faith than Peter walking on water, bigger faith than Peter's mother-in-law being healed, which happened shortly after this. This is the biggest faith he's seen. And this man is not even a Jew. He's not even a follower of Christ. Maybe he is. Maybe he's accepted that power and accepted his authority and humbled himself. But this man is um, culturally a Roman and he's the oppressor. He's the one that's helping the Roman Empire take over the planet. And he's the enemy to the Jewish people. And Jesus marvels and he says, I, this is the greatest faith that I found. And that's not an exaggeration or blowing it out of proportion. That Jesus marveled at this faith and that really that resonates with me. But this man understood that he was under borrowed power. He understood followership and he understood faith in a way that made Jesus say, wow, this is one of the most marvelous things that I've seen. And then Jesus um, said in verse 13, he said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Jesus said, all right, as you wish, I'm going to heal your servant. And you can go on your way. And thank you for your faith. And it says, and his servant was healed in the self same hour. So the centurion goes on his way about his work, about the things that he's responsible for. And he gets home that evening and he's probably asking his wife or asking the other staff, the other servants, hey, what time was this servant healed? And this servant is up and he's whole and he's healthy. And I can tell you that because God never does anything halfway. He never does anything that's not 100%. And in this moment, it says that the servant was healed or made whole, made complete, restored. And so the servant is back to his original or maybe even better than health. And he was laying sick and dying. And the, the centurion asked him about what time, you know, and maybe they went out and looked at a sundial. I don't know. And said, I was healed at this very time. And I bet the centurion took a, a, a turn to marvel at the power of God and that God would exercise his power on this oppressor's behalf. Um, and this whole story is just filled with so many incredible principles about becoming a great follower and great followership that is just absolutely fascinating to me. And so I love um, how the Bible teaches you anything that you could possibly need or want to know and does it with so much excellence and through these incredible stories because I love stories and I love hearing about these things and kind of picking apart all of the different elements that went into this event that where these worlds collided and God showed his power through um, a man that wasn't even a Jew, that wasn't even um, one of his uh, disciples. And so I think the things that stand out to me as principles for successful followership, because here's the thing, I'm a leader, I'm respons- I'm a century, and I'm responsible for 100 people. I'm um, but that authority isn't necessarily mine. That's authority that's been given to me to exercise. And um, so I love digging into, naturally, I'm a leader, but it's just because when I see a gap in leadership, I feel like somebody needs to step in and fill it. And I look around and it feels like, well, I guess I'll fill it. And so, so many times in my life, I've been placed into leadership positions, not because I was seeking them out or thought that I had the ability to do a great job at it or that that was something that, you know, my heart desired. 
but that's something that from a very young age, uh, I just tried to fill in those holes, whether it was helping like extra cleaning at work or looking for the next thing to do or supporting the leaders, asking them what they needed. And over and over and over again, they said, well, now you're in charge. <laughs> and so I was given leadership, but my natural inclination is kind of followership where I want to be a really, really good follower and I want to be a rule follower and I want to do the right thing and I want to know what the right thing is. And um, through time and learning and exercising gifts that God has given me, I've become a leader and I enjoy leadership and it's something I strive for now, but it was never something that I sought when I was younger. And so I just want to break out some principles for successful followership from this fascinating story written when Jesus was here on earth. So the first principle is kind of going to be a little bit counterintuitive, but just go with me for a minute. Don't try to be the best. Just do your best. I found that when we are trying to be successful followers and trying to to fulfill our duties to the best of our ability and um, seeking to do the best that we can do, there's two different approaches. There are some people that try to be the best. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be the fastest, the strongest, the smartest, the most capable. And that's not what makes a successful follower. Um, That makes successful friction. That makes successful um, favorites in the workplace. That makes successful uh, not bringing a team along to be able to work together as a unit. But it's kind of a Superman mentality where I can show up and I can do the best and be the best and, and have the best. And I'm going to show everybody else that I'm just the cat's meow. And that makes me the best follower. And I've stumbled into that trap before because not only um, do I look for the gaps and then try to fill them, but I'm also insanely competitive. Um, I'm mellowing out-ish in my old age. (laughs) At the ripe old age of 32. But I really am a very, very competitive person in, in... when I was first learning some of these things, I really was aggressively trying to be the best a lot of times. But what that did is it alienated others and it made them feel like they couldn't rise to it and they couldn't be capable for it. And really, um, not just in the kingdom of God, but in work and in life, none of us are going to do it alone. We are all going to need a tribe. We're going to need support. We're going to have strengths and weaknesses and we need people to offset those. And so one of the principles for successful followership is don't try to be the best. Don't try to be the fastest, brightest, best that you can possibly be because very, very quickly you'll learn that there's always a bigger fish. There's always a better best at something out there somewhere because Jesus is the only one that doeth all things well. And outside of that, we are not capable and we cannot. And if we're trying to be a great follower through the lens of being the best, it's going to be competitive, alienating, prideful, and that's not the correct approach. And so the correct approach for successful followership is to do your best. Do the very best that you can do, which means you're going to embrace the weaknesses. You're going to embrace the things that you're not good at. You're going to ask for help for the others around you to exercise the things that they're good at that perhaps maybe aren't your strong suit or aren't your best suit. And when you can come in and seek to do your best, then you are capturing the heart of a servant, the heart of Jesus that he commanded us to be. Because it's seeking to fill the holes without competing. It's seeking to support people rather than showing them up. And so that's the first principle. The second principle is to take your job and responsibility seriously, but not yourself. 
Uh, sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously. We are we can't accept criticism. We can't handle feedback. We can't accept um, praise. We can't accept being called out. And it really makes us very rigid followers when we take ourselves too seriously because we don't allow for margin for error and that sometimes we get really tired and do silly things or that we forget or that we make mistakes or say the wrong thing or read a situation the wrong way. And so I would say that a successful follower is going to be somebody that takes their job and their responsibilities really seriously. Obviously for this man to be promoted from, um, the bottom rung and being given responsibility over a hundred people, that was a big opportunity for him. I mean, that was a life changing opportunity, but you can see that he didn't take himself too seriously because when Jesus said, I'll come to your house, he said, no, I'm not worthy of that. I'm I'm not worthy of that. I'm under authority. I know how authority works. All you have to do is say the word and you're going to fix it. Um, he didn't say, yes, you, you come to my house. Uh, I would have, I would have had, that wouldn't even occurred to me. To be honest, if I was pleading for God to heal my servant, I would be like, yes, come quickly. Come as quick as you can. He's going to die. But this man's faith was so great that he's like, you don't even need to come. You say the word and it's going to happen. But obviously he took his job and his responsibilities very seriously because otherwise he wouldn't have been given the authority that he was given on the behalf of the Roman government to exercise. But he didn't take himself too seriously. Um, and so be able to laugh at yourself, be able to be imperfect, be able to have flaws and embrace them and recognize them and do your best to overcome them. But understanding that we're naturally going to have strengths and weaknesses and things that we lean into and things that we're not very good at. And when we can do that, that allows us to take our job and our responsibility very seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. So it makes us able to laugh and acknowledge when we make mistakes and have the freedom to ask for help. Because it brings an element of humility where we're not the savior, we're not the rescuer, we're not Superman, we're not Thor, we're not any of these things as a servant. And that helps us to be great followers. It invests in great followership. The third principle is that we may not all lead, but we can all follow with excellence. Um, if you've ever heard the phrase, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians, that's a really good perspective on that because it's understanding that not everybody can be in charge because a snake with four heads is a monster. A snake with one head is healthy. Um, that works in the home. I mean that God, that's why God created family and government and life the way he did because there are very clear roles and responsibilities because There has to be ultimate decision makers and there has to be executive decision making and we cannot all be leaders all the time. Now, we're going to find that we're putting on a leadership hat and then we're putting on a followership hat in many different scenarios. I mean, the business is mine, so I'm a leader there. That's my responsibility. But in the home, my husband is the leader and I'm the follower. And the better I can be as a follower in the home the more successful our marriage is and the stronger our family foundation is. And so understanding that we may not all lead. You may be looking around and thinking, man, I'm never going to get a leadership opportunity. I'm never going to be the one that's responsible for other people or for a business or for a team or whatever it is. But maybe you go home and you're responsible to lead your children. Maybe you're responsible to lead your family. You're responsible to lead a class in church or to lead. There's, there's opportunities in every area. But 
we may not all be leading all the time. Some of us may not be leading at all right now in in this season of our lives or even down the road. But God didn't create us all for that. He created some of us to be really, really, really good followers. And those are callings that are not mistakes. It says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And so we may not all lead, but we can all follow. And we are all followers, especially if we're children of God, because we are followers of him, which means I'm a follower. And if I can be a faithful follower of the authority that he's given me, because he's placed me in the leadership position that I'm in. And so really my power isn't mine. My responsibility, my leadership is mine. It's been given to me and I've been given the power and the ability and the calling to do it, but it doesn't have anything to do with me or mine. It has everything to do with the fact that that's what God has called me to. And we can all be excellent followers. And that is a wonderful example of who Jesus was and how he served. The fourth principle is to do all things as unto the Lord. So as followers, that means there's going to be times where we're going to be asked to do things that we don't want to do. And we're going to have jobs and responsibilities that we don't particularly want to have or fulfill. Um, It does not matter if you're a leader or a follower. All of those things are going to happen. I think, you know, that Roman centurion went home and he knew, like, I can tell my servant to do whatever he's supposed to do. And he's going to have to do it because he's my servant. And that servant would do it, not necessarily because he liked it or wanted to do it, but because he was serving. And when we have the correct perspective, and Paul talked about that in some of the letters to the churches about servants, obey your masters as unto the Lord. Obey your master like you're serving Jesus. You know, sometimes we think, well, if Jesus was here on earth and he was my boss, I would obey him. I would follow him. I'd have a good attitude with him. I wouldn't cut corners with him. I'd give him my very best because he's Jesus. But God says, no, 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 no. When you have a boss, when you have a leader, when you are under authority, when you have somebody that you answer to, serve them the same way you would serve to the Lord. Give it your very best. Show up with a great attitude. Don't cut corners. Respond humbly. Seek the next thing to do. And those are things that make successful followers in every way. And when I've applied that principle in my life, I've been given raises and extra hours and opportunities that I wouldn't have and eventually leadership. And so when you follow those principles, God's going to bless it because he blesses our obedience Even if you're following a leader who doesn't know the Lord or you have a boss who's an atheist or a Satanist or when you're following and obeying your master as unto the Lord, you are responsible for that, not them. And you're going to give it your very best and you're going to show up and you're going to serve with excellence. And so when you keep in mind, whatever role of servanthood that you've been placed in or followership. When you do those things as unto the Lord, which is what we're commanded to do, then God is going to bless it. The fifth principle for successful followership is that our authority comes from God. Our authority comes from God. That should give us confidence to do and to be the right things. And so that's really important because we have to understand that a lot of people, you know, view power and authority as a power trip. And so they're going to take advantage or they're going to make life easier for themselves and their friends and the people that are important to them. But then everybody else are going to get the dregs and you're going to be asked to do the things that nobody else wants to do. And so many people are frozen because they're like, well, I'm not a leader, so I am a follower and I'm not necessarily following people who know God or love the Lord. None of that matters because we have to understand that our authority and our power, we are men 
and women under authority, just like that Roman centurion was. And so that should give us confidence to do and be the right things because God tells us what the right things are to do and to be. And when we are submitting to that and we are following that, then we're going to know what the right decision is, not because of our own power or authority, but because of his power and authority. And it takes a lot of fear out about what what decisions do I make and how can I move forward and what's the best that I can do and how can I serve faithfully? The next thing is that excellent followership is a foundation for success. And we briefly mentioned that before, but if I, for example, have a team member at my restaurant and they show up on time and they have a great attitude and they hustle hard and they look for the next thing to do and they help the team out and they don't cut any corners and they're serving and they're constantly looking for the next thing to do and trying to be a support and an encouragement, that stands out to me. I see that. I mark that in my mind. And many, many times those people are given opportunities to lead or they're given raises or they're given responsibilities for project lead and all these different kinds of things because that's such a rare and beautiful thing when you can bring all of those attributes together. So if you are excellent follower, then that's a foundation for success because when times get tough and I have to start cutting jobs and I have to make decisions between who to keep, do you think I'm going to keep the follower that has a bad attitude and that it gripes all the time and complains and that gets written up and shows up late and is on their phone? No, I'm going to keep the follower that is servant hearted. And so it's a foundation for success. It really is in good times and in bad times. Um, the seventh key to successful followership is the perspective that Jesus came as a servant. He's not going to come as a servant next time. But the first time around, he could have come as a king of kings. He could have come as a roaring lion. He could have come as somebody in the Roman government or as a king of the Jews. He could have come as anything that he wanted. And he chose to come as a servant, as a lowly man who didn't even, couldn't even be born in a house. He was born in a barn um, to a family that didn't have very much. He was a humble woodworker and worked with his hands and and took care of his family. And Jesus could have come as anything and he gave us the perfect blueprint to follow as a servant because that's how he came and that's how he served. I think about every time you see Jesus, he's serving. He's serving Peter's questions and he's serving um Thomas's doubts. He's healing Peter's mother. He's serve, he's serving and washing the disciples' feet. He's serving when he's feeding the 5000 or when he's healing the woman with the the issue of blood for 12 years. He's serving when he's taking good care of kids and giving them love and attention. Every time you see Jesus, he came as a servant. And if if the creator God of the universe can serve, then it's certainly not above us and it it is one of the highest callings that we've been given is to serve well and to serve with excellence. And the outcome of applying these principles is that it brings joy and fulfillment because God's not going to ask us to do anything without bringing blessings in return. And so when we serve faithfully and we serve with joy and we don't try to be the best, but we try to do our best and we do it with humility and service and, and focus on other people, then it brings so much joy and fulfillment to our lives. It brings um, that sense of purpose and that sense of peace and that sense of obedience. And God pours out abundant blessing on those that are willing to become a great follower. 
So I hope that gave you a different perspective on life and followership. I hope it encouraged you, regardless of what season you're in, that you are under authority and that you are created to be a servant of the Most High God and that the most rewarding blessed things that we can do in our lives are doing that to the best of our ability because he pours out his blessing and his goodness on it. Um, So I hope you have a great week and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Graceful and Gritty podcast. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or by email at gracefulandgritty at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.